it is a true blessing to be selected, called to be together as church uh, from all parts of the world. And we walk with each other. We pray with each other. We support each other. What a joy. It's a joyful moment, uh, even in the midst of world realities. And even this morning, uh, as we journey uh, kind of in parallel with the book of Acts, uh, we see these things repeat and repeat. It's, it's amazing, actually, how the events in the life of the early church coincide with our own reality, our own church experience. Uh, you know, so many things. We read uh, uh, about how the, the church started and um, early proclamations of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit caused people to respond to the good news of Jesus. And how did they respond? Uh, appropriately, right? They, they felt conviction. They were moved. They were, wanted to be baptized. Uh, we read about a few baptisms in the book of Acts, big numbers actually. And we're excited though because we're not without that celebration. We are with that celebration uh, even in our own church because we get to celebrate baptism um, tomorrow night, uh, everybody. Um, that, uh, Timmy and Donnie. Uh, so more to be said about that during announcements. But I just want to draw the parallel that as we walk the journey of the book of Acts, we journey as a church. And it's not just that. Um, last week, we get, uh, last week, we studied and heard about how the early church community got together and they prayed. Uh, in, in community, they prayed. The Bible says, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. That's a good prayer. Uh, and we've been praying as a church. Uh, we've been praying uh, together for some time now. We've been actually uh, looking for a location as a church. We've been looking for, for God's leading. We've been praying that prayer for a long time. And, and yesterday, actually, there were some intense prayers uh, about that specific thing and, and uh, around our little prayer table uh, at, the, at the house. And uh, actually, I don't think the building ended up shaking, but uh, I know those of us who prayed did. We were shaken as God, literally, uh, maybe even still a little, as God led us to a new location and a building. And more to be said about that also later. <laughs> Just want to draw the parallel that it is amazing. And God's plan for the church, the church universal and this church, is so very exciting. Uh, and I hope that you feel that because at the end of the day, God promises his church will be victorious. Well, we go ahead and start celebrating a little bit early, I think. Um, Matthew 16, I love it this way. It says, uh, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, it means that the universal church is destined, made by God, determined by God, promised by God that we'll, they will be used, we will be used in the most exciting ways. I really believe that, the, that Jesus loves the church in more ways than I can, than we can even understand in this moment. Uh, and of course, 
I, I believe that it requires a desire to follow Jesus and be transformed by his presence. Uh, in fact, that's what we, we're going to read this morning in Acts chapter 4. Um, so let me encourage you. Uh, we're going to finish up the, the chapter 4 of Acts, uh, verses 32 through 37. And if you have a Bible with you um, or on your phone, please uh, turn to Acts chapter 4. Uh, Philo has got the Bibles there. <laughs> Anybody needs one? Uh, all right, we're good. Thanks. But uh, anytime, we've we got Bibles here. Um, I know you got them on your phones and tablets and stuff, but some, some of us are a little old school uh, and actually still use the uh, paper version Bible books. So let's read Acts chapter 4 from verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And there it is, the end of Acts chapter 4. If we're honest here, when we're, we are honest, right? Uh, this is one of those passages that might seem a little scary if you really think what's going on here because everybody shared everything they had. Now, think about that because it would mean that some of them would sell their homes or their lands uh, just to be sure that everybody was taken care of. Kind of pretty radical stuff here, actually. Uh, what, what if this kind of sharing became a condition for church membership? <laughs> everybody, be ready to sell your house, your, your home, your car, your big screen TV, your computer, whatever you have, your phone, and just bring the proceeds because somebody's in need. Some of us I, who don't own very much would probably be okay with that idea. <laughs> Some of us who own a lot might be a little more reluctant, I suspect. Yet, these early Christians were a pretty radical group. They didn't worry about material things. They were living so powerfully in light of the resurrection of Jesus that they were passionately on mission with Christ. And the picture here is so radical that that sometimes we like to dismiss it. You ever have one of those stories that's just like, wow, maybe it's not quite that wow, but this one actually is that wow. Because we tend to rationalize things, you know, try to make it a little more palatable. But maybe we think, well, this sharing, it was just sort of the early kickoff time. You know, there's special things for kickoff time, for starting a church. And it, it really doesn't apply to churches today. It was just back then, you know. We, rationalize it that way. Or maybe, maybe this was 
before they really learned that people can take advantage of the system. See, we're smarter now. We know that sometimes people take advantage of the system, and so we change the system, right? You know, we tend to rationalize these realities. And, and whatever we do, I, I want to warn us that whatever we do, we can't afford to dismiss it. Because what we find in this passage is that the church is called to be a light-sharing community. That's the reason this church of ordinary people, uneducated, not wealthy, uh, not people with political power, grew to become a community that essentially has and is still changing the world. They were a life-sharing community. So what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for the church today? What does it mean for us, the International Baptist Church of Debertson, today? What does it mean to be a life-sharing community? First of all, it means that we embrace a common purpose. Verse 32 gets right at this. It says that the believers were of one heart and one soul. Now that alone is probably the greatest miracle in this passage. There was a prevailing sense of unity and purpose in the early church. They had a, a common purpose, more than just being on the same team. It was more than subscribing to the same set of beliefs. It, here is a deep passion for serving Christ, for being on mission with Christ. I'm always disappointed when I hear about a church that has problems or they, they dissolve or they, they, they just can't agree on a mission. You know, I'm sure you've read or experienced this about this group wants to, they want to do this focus or this, this group wants to have a, a ministry that looks like this and for some reason they just can't get along and there's conflict and, and they just can't decide on the mission of the church. And I think it's silly because there's really no decision to be made about the mission of the church. Jesus made it clear when he said that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to touch and change the lives of people. His mission, his mission, Jesus' mission is the mission of the church. And I think sometimes we, we forget that. It's, it's a little bit like what happens in the game of football. Now, I, I realize that I'm, I'm going to go way out on the limb here because I know that when I say football, it means two very different things. Uh, it, for football, to everybody else in the world, football means this. But Americans, those Americans, football means this. I'll give, I'll give you my whole spiel on that later. But go with me here a little bit on this American idea of football. Because in the American idea of football, there is a game that they play. It's called the Pro Bowl. And, and really what they do here is they take all the teams and they select the best players who played play in that season. In fact, they're voting on it right now, actually, I think, uh, on the best players from all the teams, and they divide them into two conferences. you got the American Conference and the National, I think it's the National Football Conference and the American AFC, NFC. And they take these players and they put them on their conference teams. And uh, if you're on a conference team, Everybody on that team gets a jersey that's the same color. But to represent your real team, you have a helmet. 
that shows your team that you really play for. You can see, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. They all have the same color jerseys, but their helmets are different. Now, here's the interesting thing. You know, you get teams like Chicago Bears or Dallas Cowboys, and uh, that's, the, that's what's on the helmet. But the team, it represents your conference. But here, here's what happens. Every year, it's obvious that even though these players play on the same team, they wear the same jersey, they don't really play for that team. Because when they come to the Pro Bowl, they don't really hit very hard. They don't run very fast because they don't want to risk the injury for the conference game when the conference isn't the one who plays, pays their salary. And so they, they're, really, they're really playing for their helmet team. They're really playing for the team that they go back and they play. They think, well, we're going to go do this little thing. We're going to come together and we're, gonna, we're on a team together, but we're really not together. The truth is, they play for the team that's on their helmet. It's a good analogy because in church, it's tempting to be like these football players where we wear a jersey that says Jesus, but yet we wear a helmet that says ethnic culture. We wear a helmet that says music culture. We wear a helmet that says generational culture. And those are the teams we really play for. And that's the side we're really on, even though our jersey says Jesus. And it, it means we don't agree on the mission, the vision of the church. You see, the reason the early church made such an impact was because they were all on the same team and they had the same passion. Verse 33 says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Their mission was to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. That's what they thought about. That's what they talked about. That's what their activities were about. That's what their mission was about. That's what their church events were about. And so it was the focus of everything they did, the mission of Jesus. And in that way, their lives were woven together with a sense of unity and purpose because they saw each other as partners, as brothers and sisters on mission with Christ. That's a cool, part, a cool picture. It's a powerful reality. And, and it's exactly what Jesus prays for in John chapter 17 when he prays that the church would be unified in unity with mission together. And I, I see that, I see that. But it doesn't stop here because the power of this picture is, is even more vivid when we see that this was not only a life-sharing community that embraces common purpose, it's also a life-sharing community that allowed that purpose to develop a spirit of generosity. Verse 32 says, No one... No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It's just really hard to wrap your, your mind around that, uh, this idea that stuff is actually our own. It's pretty well ingrained in us. Our culture tells us that. Even at Christmas time, we fight that. Uh, because the truth is, the stuff we have isn't our own stuff as followers of Christ. It's not our stuff. We just get to borrow it, 
hang on to it for a while. Ultimately, we should be using it for, for God's work. And, and that's what was happening in the life of the early church. When, when people had stuff, they didn't really have stuff. They had tools to be used for God's kingdom. And when they saw a brother or sister in need, they, they gave it. There was no question. It was part of the mission. It wasn't mandatory giving at all. It was heartfelt concern, and it happened naturally. You have to, you have to wonder, where does that come from? How do, how do churches get to that place? And I think verse 32 tells us, because it tells us that no one thought of the stuff as their own. Generosity comes from the conviction that the things we own, our money, our home, our computers, our cars, our phones, all these things aren't really ours after all. Generosity comes when we recognize that all we have is God's, and we just get the joy of using it. What we do with our resources, I believe, demonstrates more clearly than anything else whether we believe our lives are our lives or we truly belong to Christ. There are lots of ways to be generous, but there is something special about giving to the Lord. That's, that's the reason that churches take an offering in the worship service. Giving to the Lord in this way is a, is a special thing, and it's actually an act of worship. It's giving back to God what is rightfully and has always been God's to begin with. The Old Testament talks about this in terms of bringing our tithe. And the word tithe actually means 10%. You've probably heard that some churches, they recommend giving 10% of your income um, to back to the church. And, but there were other offerings in the Old Testament, um, not just this particular tithe. And so one calculation is that the percent was actually closer to 23% of what people actually gave in the Old Testament. And there were different kinds of offerings. There was a burnt offering, a, a grain offering, a peace offering, a sin offering, just to name a few. So clearly it, it's not just 10% or even 23%. And then in the New Testament, Jesus talks about giving in a different way. He tells the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus lifts up the example of a poor widow who put in two small copper coins into the offering because she gave all that she had to live on. It's a, it's a whole different kind of giving and generosity. And I believe, I believe that this is the model for the healthy church. If the healthy church teaches that tithing, giving 10% of your income is sort of the starting point. The starting point. But the more you give, the more beautiful it becomes. My friends, this is such a beautiful area. And in the way we give, we are able to see and experience the beauty of God in ways that we cannot otherwise see. You know, I've had the privilege of, in ministry over the years, seeing and knowing so many beautiful people who give generously to the Lord. Now you know that, that I'm a missionary, and sometimes people ask, well, how can you, how do you afford that? How do you, because we're not paid by the church here, um, not this church here, this church doesn't pay our salaries. Uh, how, how do you do that? How does that work? And, and we explain that, well, we have, 
we have churches back in our home country who support the mission and support us. And, and so we don't really get a salary here, but, but that works through an organization, our mission organization, and then they pay us enough to live on, our salary and, and so forth, so we can afford to be here. And, uh, and, and it happens uh, in that way, but um, the money, uh, sometimes people think it just comes to us because we're missionaries. Well, not really. In the last 10 years, um, our mission agency has changed the way we support mission work throughout the world. Um, rather than just a, 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 a general budget or a general support tool in the midst of a group of churches, our missionaries, we actually go and we tell the story and we actually raise support. We actually go to people and churches and tell them what God is doing and those churches and people pledge support and, and they give uh, a portion of their income to be part of what God is doing right here in Hungary. And uh, when we first made this shift, our mission organization, there was a, a little bit of hesitation because the missionaries weren't used to doing that. Uh, but then the people who were mature and wiser in seeing this picture, they, they would say to the missionaries, just wait and see. We want to know after you do this, after you start engaging in people's lives and telling them the story, and, and they start giving, we want to know if you would rather have it this way or rather go back to the way where you just get a paycheck. And uh, so we were able to be part of this. And I have to tell you, having the opportunity to do that has been one of the greatest blessings in our lives to see the beauty of people who give generously. So I want to share with you this morning the story of three people, uh, a beautiful story. Our first story is, uh, this is Reverend, uh, this is Pastor Ray and his wife, Pat. Uh, Pastor Ray is almost 100 years old. And when I was pastoring in Michigan, he had already retired. He'd retired about 30 years ago. But he was still so active in ministry. He would, he would share preaching with me and help me with things. And he was retired and, and he'd been married. I think he'd lost two, he, two of his wives had died. And so I had the privilege of, of marrying uh, the two of them. And Pat, uh, uh, she uh, um, was one of our Sunday school teachers at the, at, the, at the church. She worked for an insurance company and actually a pretty nice job because it was a pretty, job, pretty good job. And, and Pastor Ray was in his retirement. But they were some of the most generous people. And, and they, they could have lived in a really big house. And they had the finances to do that, but they didn't. They lived in a, what we call a trailer home. Uh, they chose to live in a metal box so that they could give money to mission. They're so amazing. Another story. Uh, so this is Palestine Missionary Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. If you know anything about the states, you know that Detroit is one of the poorest cities in America. And this particular church is it in the poorest part of the poorest city in America. And this church heard about what God is doing in Hungary. And they're giving money to support God's work here. Some of them can't even afford to go to the doctors. But they want to be a part, 
at what God is doing here in Hungary. And the next, next picture. This, this little girl, uh, pastor's daughter, and she's there in uh, Kansas. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's pastoring this small church. I mean, 20 people. It barely afford to pay his salary. And he's teaching, they're teaching their daughter stewardship, the joy of giving back to the Lord. This little girl, we were there, telling them about God's work in Hungary. She had been collecting a jar. We have this jar at home. It just says blessings. Does she get allowance? Somebody give her money. She put it in the jar, and her parents were teaching her to tithe out of that, to give a portion of that. But when she heard the story of what God was doing, she wanted so much to be a part of it. And she gave us the whole jar. She couldn't do just a portion. So we have a jar of money that sits on our counter. Uh, it says blessings. It's her jar. And it's all she had. And she gave it. These people, they gave. Because, not because they were made to give. Because they wanted to be part of God's work. And it has been, they're beautiful stories because they have been an inspiration to me to give more, to stretch beyond trusting my own resources because I want to be part of God's work in a greater way. And, and I can tell you, that's one of the, the best ways to be a part of God's work is to, to make sure he knows and we know that what we have is really his to begin with. I hope you feel that way. I hope you feel blessed that God has given you what you have because I believe that this is what the early church experienced. I want you to notice something in verse 33. There's this curious little phrase that sticks out there, right in the middle of this passage. It says this, And much grace was upon them all. Much grace was upon them all. I think that means that because the church understood this, they were blessed in incredible ways because of their generosity. I want us to know that blessing. In fact, I think we're starting to see some of it. I think we're starting to see what God is doing in the life of this church, and I want it so bad for every person here to be part of that blessing. 